Okay, hello, welcome back to the Cine Skinny. It's the film podcast from the team at the Skinny Magazine. It's me, Peter Simpson, with Jamie Dunn. Hello. Uh, Lewis Robertson. Hello. And Annie Hiberis. Hello. We are back in the glow of uh, Upload Studios. That's what it's called. We're back in the glow of Upload Studios, a solid start, nine seconds in, and I've forgotten where I am. Um, I saved it, though, and you could call that a Christmas miracle. Oh, dear Yes, God. that's right. Even though it's still November when we're recording this, we've been watching a bunch of Christmas films, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Classics, some more classic than others. Christmas-adjacent films, yeah, some more adjacent than others. <laughs> It's going to be a fun time, thanks to the vagaries of our production schedule and the fact we need to do the end of year stuff before Christmas. It means we're now talking about eight different Christmas films on the 29th of November. Let's get it. <laughs> Who's excited? I'm excited. Lewis, you excited? I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm pretty, I'm pretty merry. I don't know if you can tell by the tone of my voice. <laughs> Crushing Why it. Why are we pretty merry? Because it's not December yet. Oh, I see. You have to like say yeah. that. Okay, that makes sense. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, but it isn't looking a lot like Christmas. It's just beginning to. How many of these do you have? Uh, there's two so far, it's and there might be more like... <laughs> it's, a, it's a canon of nearly 2,000 years, right? Yeah. There's a lot to pull from. Yeah, I said to Lewis I was going to try and fit as many in as I could, and I wasn't sure whether it said more like a threat or a promise. So I'll work that out while I ask everybody else what they've been watching. Jamie, what have you been watching recently? Has uh, it been Christmassy or has it been just normal films? No, I've been watching all the stuff that's out of the cinema now. Because actually, there's tons of stuff out of the cinema and lots we didn't get to talk about on the pod. So I was just going to do a little rapid fire run through of everything I've seen this weekend, basically. If that's okay with everyone. I'll, Sorry, I'll, I'll allow it. What, what did you say? <laughs> 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 just go, Jay. Just yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, you know what? That's as good, that's as, good as permission. I said there's been a lot out of the cinema. I'm gonna. Yeah. I had to watch a lot of the films, and I'm gonna do a rapid fire. Oh yeah, do it. Okay. So she said the new uh, <laughs> really good. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a, it's like the uh, cinematic uh, recreation of the journalists who investigated the Harry Weinstein Weinstein scandal. Um, Kerry Mulligan is fantastic. Uh, it's just a really good journalism film, I think. Uh, visually quite uninteresting though, so it's just like it's like a solid three to five movie, I would say. Uh, also saw Bones and All, which I was a bit disappointed. And actually, I've got to say, I was maybe just because I heard so much many good things about it. I thought it looked great. It, like the atmosphere was fantastic. The music was great. It, it, like the transitions and stuff were fantastic. But I just felt the central performances were good but they didn't have like a spark i feel like mm. i might i didn't really care about this couple you know like i didn't think there was much chemistry there and i don't know if that was on purpose actually but there was something about the film that was just off like i felt like a few of the kind of key scenes were botched mm. like especially when she goes to meet her mother uh, i should say it's about two cannibals uh, on the road together uh, i mean they, if they listen to last week's podcast yes they, they, will, know. Will, they will know but, but anyway <laughs> great looking film didn't quite work for me three three five glass onion Oh my god, yes. So much fun. <laughs> it was like absolute riot. Uh, yeah, I could watch um, Ryan Johnson do one of these every year for like as long as I live. It's just like so good. It reminds me of like, you know, the old pros that you spit on at Christmas. Like the mirror cracked and things like that. Like that's the thing. I'm kind of like, if the second one lands, then it's good. Because the first one, I really like Knives Out, but it's it's so like perfectly like self-contained yeah so it's like if you can transplant these characters into another situation and do it well then that's really exciting i wouldn't say it's perfectly self-contained this is but it's actually so 
prescient. Like it's almost like how did they make this and get it so? Because they like they're making fun of everything. They're making fun of Twitter. They're making fun of Elon Musk. They're making fun of like uh, what else is happening? It feels really like pertinent. I don't know. Like I don't know. It's just yeah, really good. And uh, Jenna One A, what a revelation! She's mm-hmm. like so good in this film. Like uh, not not my socks off. Uh, and then the wonder I thought was great for an hour. Uh, this is the new kind of Florence Pugh film where she plays a nun, uh, a nurse who goes to Ireland um, to investigate this kind of miracle of this young woman who's stopped eating and is like some sort of saint. Um, but this, once the central mystery is revealed, I felt the film kind of like fell apart because it was the mystery, how it's happening is ridiculous. And then it just is a very kind of rush to the finish kind of film. Um, but again, great atmosphere, has a really interesting kind of like framing device where it opens um, in the sound studio where the film's taking place. Yeah, that was so surprising. And uh, and it just the film just starts by the film like the camera just going around and you see Florence Pugh on, on stage and then the film just starts. It's really cool. Uh, it doesn't, I don't really know why it did that other than it is cool. Like, I guess it's about kind of watching and performance and stuff. That's kind of like a, a layer of the film. But uh, yeah, really interesting. But again, didn't quite Give me the satisfying ending I wanted. So again, very solid, good films, but the only one that really kind of like, oh, I could watch it tomorrow again is Glass Onion. Like, fantastic. You've been very busy, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Or, or you could say I've actually not been busy at all. I've just sitting and watching movies all weekend. Hey, that's work. Get that logged on your overtime sheet. You don't have an overtime sheet. Anna Heat, <laughs> what have you been watching? Um, I also, so I was also not busy this like past week that so I actually managed to like watch some stuff as well. Pretty much exactly the same as Jamie, actually, so I won't really <laughs> retread the same ground. But yeah, I thought much the same as she said. I think it still needs to have like the conversation of what it means for a film to be making this story when it was like the film industry that was at fault, which it doesn't really do. But like, yeah, I, I fucking love journalism movies. I like people in their like little CMS, like doing their little thing. Yeah. It's like great fucking time. Um, Glass Onion just a blast really good um watched what else did I watch I finally watched girl picture um or girls 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 whichever one it's called which I thought was amazing it was you Jamie that liked it I, I really liked it. Yeah, yeah yeah I really it loved right. it yeah that was good I didn't hate it oh, <laughs> did no, not like I, oh I adored it um so yeah like just lots of like little bits and pieces I've been watching a lot of tv over the last couple of months because I've just been very like hectic and so I can have that on in the background so it's quite nice to just be like I'm going to focus on something for two hours. Like, that was quite good. Um, yeah. Good stuff. And you also just told us before we started that you rewatched After Sun. I did. Me and my brother went um, on Sunday evening and he really liked it. Um, I cried again. It was really beautiful. There were also, like, bits of it that I just hadn't kind of noticed. The fa- It's just like a film that really rewards rewatching because I think it is so dense. So I hadn't ever noticed that, like, it's literally the first scene when like the video is playing, um, that you can see the shadow of the adult Sophie, like the reflection of her, like watching it in the screen, which I had never seen. And then once you, because I had read about it somewhere and then I was looking out for it and it's like so apparent once you know what you're looking for. But it's that she's like, yeah, it's like her shadow as she's watching it. Um, And then when it kind of goes into the main part of the film, obviously she's not there the whole time, but it was just so like, just such a little detail that doesn't need to be there, but just makes it so, oh my God, Charlotte Wells. 
Yeah. Love and the kind of thing that only really works as an extra detail if you've seen the film once already. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that that was, I want to bring that back up is I forgot at the start to thank everyone who came to our after some preview screenings that were a couple of weeks ago. I had forgotten that they were so little time away because we've been quite busy. Um, but we had, I think it was over 300 people in the end came out to the screenings at the GFT and the Cameo. So thanks to everyone who came. Thanks to the Cameo and the GFT for helping out with them. And thanks to Mubi for letting us put them on. I saw lots of people crying. It was a lovely time. Everyone <laughs> had a great time. Uh, and Lewis, to segue from that bit of the past towards the Christmassy things we're talking about, I'm reading the notes yeah. and then translating them into some kind of content. You've been rewatching some Christmas films. I've been rewatching some Christmas films. I Excellent. know we're about Smooth. to do an entire episode on them. So I'm like, I was saying I'm kind of already sick of Christmas films and it's not even December by the time we're recording this. But um, I've just been like out and about and like at friends and relatives and they've always like got one on in the background or something like that. So I've just wound up rewatching a bunch and a few thoughts really quick. Robert Zemeckis's photorealistic mocap Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey is like Polar Express pretty uncanny and pretty ugly but it's kind of filmed like a horror so i think it works uh muppets christmas carol is obviously the best everybody applauds michael Caine's amazing performance but i mean the acting chops on that little frog doll that dies and then everyone's crying like where's his oscar <laughs> and the does he die i'm not sure tiny tim does he die tiny tim doesn't die the line at the end of the film is quote and tiny tim who did not die? <laughs> but it's one of it's a feature that may come. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh right, okay. It's a very famous oh, part oh, that like oh. Tiny Tim's oh, illness. Oh, this bodes well. <laughs> <laughs> and I have also rewatched the sheer unhinged monstrous violence of Home Alone Two, um, <laughs> which just gets funnier and funnier as like we as a society like just understand slapstick violence a lot less. And it's like he drops like a toolkit on their heads. Like it's just so completely villainous. He I just love the hit idea Joe that like Pesci in the face with a brick on yeah, multiple occasions. He sets people on fire. <laughs> I love the idea. Like imagine that if you went to Florida on holiday, realized you'd left your like ten year old child behind, had a complete freak out. Everyone at the holiday is having like a bad time. You're finally able to travel across the country to New York. You find him in a city of millions of people, and he's just like been torturing these two guys this whole time. Like I would not want to take my child back. Um, this is what terrifies me about parenting. Like, <laughs> that you might have Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, that you yeah. Have a what if they build trap. a real, like, real life parent trap? Yeah. And then I'm the parent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trapped. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Are you hanging up your stocking on your wall? Step into Christmas, etc., etc. We wanted to do a full episode on our favorite Christmas films and we split it into two parts. So the first part we're gonna talk about, well, actually we'll talk about the, so it's gonna be in a minute, our favorite kind of left field Christmas stuff. This is like Christmas adjacent things, the kind of things you'd expect us to come up with basically, like alternative Christmas films. No one's picked Eyes Wide Shut, thankfully, but it's that, <laughs> that kind of vibe. But first of all, we'll do the classic, the trad, the more like Christmassy Christmas films where Christmas is central to the plot, central to the themes of the film, etc., etc. We've each picked one film from the Christmas canon. Uh, some, as I say, I know for a fact, some more universally appreciated by the panel than others. Uh, but we'll maybe go to Lewis first, because your one is quite a kind of like 
Christmassy, Christmassy, snow, it's snow, very heartwarming, big time like, Christmas story. I, I, I can't imagine lots of people. I can't imagine anyone that like really wouldn't like this film. So it's an animated film. It's called Klaus. Came out in 2019. It's still available to stream on Netflix. I think it was like one of their first fully animated feature films. Um, it follows uh, the, this um, privileged, spoiled son of the head of a militarized postal service who is uh, then sort of thrust into a role of responsibility when he has to establish a working postal office in an island community that's previously been cut off from the world. And what he finds there is this bitter feud between two families who just love nothing more than warring with each other, as well as a mysterious woodsman who's even more shut off than anyone else. So it acts as a kind of origin story to Father Christmas. Um, it was directed by Sergios Pablos, who is a Disney animated studios veteran. So he worked on like the Hunchback of Notre Dame and stuff like that. The, the, the goal of this film was to be a film at, to imagine what would, might have happened if Disney had not really abandoned traditional hand-drawn 2D animation and opted instead for sort of CG, um, like 3D models. Uh, but also, you know, so it, it, its main influence there is the Disney Renaissance, not just how, and how it looks, but like the quality of the writing. Like it's a really meaningful, meaningful story. It's got sort of these really well fleshed out characters. It doesn't talk down to the audience and it's quite morbid. It's got quite morbid humor. Like the setting is meant to be this sort of like completely cut off like Nordic island. And it's beautiful, even though it's painted almost exclusively in monochrome. But like the establishing shots are like old ladies like shuffling away a dead body and like these kids stabbing a snowman with carrots and stuff like that like all of the characters are just really really vibrant that there's the the matriarch and patriarch <laughs> sorry i thought you were going to say the characters are really violent <laughs> they are very violent there's a lot of violence there's so, there's more than one joke in this film where like a noose is the punchline <laughs> it's like very strange that this is like this incredibly like magical Christmas film, but in fact actually has quite dark humor. Um, there's the matriarch and patriarch of these feuding families. The the matriarch is voiced by, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on her name, Joan Cusack. Uh, very very good voice performance. There's a hard ass school teacher who's like turned her classroom into a fishmonger's because no one goes to school in this town, so she's just trying to like chop up all these fish and sell them and points her knife at everyone and it's like very intimidating like every character no matter how much they affect the plot has like a really big atmospheric introduction um and it's yeah it's a commendation to the art of voice acting as well like i did not expect my favorite cinematic depiction of santa to be jk simmons but he just kills it he's like very imposing and it just makes for a really cool santa origin story like there's there's a few films like that there's like there's like the tim tim allen one where he like kills santa and then he becomes Santa because of the Santa curse. Or I think there's new ones on Netflix with like Kurt Russell as this like gadgeted up Santa cool guy. And it's just like, I don't know, those never really interest me, but this one actually feels a lot more magical, a, a lot more emotional. He's like a reluctant, vulnerable character who's like very shut off from the world, but has to come to terms with the myth that's building around him. And it also pays tri tribute to the influence of the Sami people on modern Christmas folklore, which is the only, it like, makes it the only film that I know of that has untranslated Sami language in it. So it's it's pretty just like really, really heartwarming, looks amazing, one of the best like animated films I've seen just in terms of the visuals, but I really think that it's worth checking out.
this Christmas season. I think that's the most passionate I've heard you sound about anything. <laughs> I, I genuinely like cannot think of something yeah. I don't like about this film. I'm kind it of I'm surprised strange. not as many people have seen it because I want to like make sure I'm not insane yeah. and that this is in fact. Like, I'm a not seen it. Lewis got revved up by the animation, and once it started becoming apparent that the characters were both vibrant and violent, vibrant and violent. off. Off like a reindeer in the night. I recommend checking it out. I want someone to talk to you about it. It is very, very good. I have I have seen it. It's yes. great. Lewis is there sitting, with, sitting with his arms folded, being like, I just want someone to talk to you about my Christmas film. It's, it's uh, funny. Yeah, can we talk about that? Because I've been at the cinema so much this weekend, I've seen four trailers for Violent Night. I presume if you saw the trailers for the films. Anyway, it's the new Santa Claus film with David Harbour okay. as Santa just kicking some people's ass. That's so weird. Yeah. How did we not see the same trailer? <laughs> I don't know. I saw the trailer for Till like five times and it made me cry every time. Well, I saw, the, I saw this Violet Night one. Yeah, <laughs> jo- is, is it John Leguizamo who yeah. uh, is like robbing someone's house at Christmas and then Santa turns up because he gets a message from a kid being like, you've got to come and save me. Yeah. It's basically Die Hard, but with John McClane played by Santa Claus. And <laughs> there is a bit where... John Leguizamo says, there ain't no such thing as frickin' Santa Claus. And then it cuts to someone just being like stabbed in the throat with like a piece of Christmas tree yeah. decoration. And, and, but David Howard keeps calling people naughty. You've been naughty. And stabs them with like, yeah, like Christmas. This sounds like fun. Yeah. Christmas. what is this called? It's a violent called, night. It's called Violent Night. Christmas is a weird time. It's a, it's a weird magical time. But you know what it is as well? It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, J- J- no reaction to that. Jamie, <laughs> would you like to speak about the film that you have put on the plan? Well, talking about like Christmas films that are violent, I went for Gremlins. Now, uh, I'm probably cheating because Gremlins is a kind of subversive Christmas film, but I think it has enough of the kind of like base... Christmas cheer and like kind of like loveliness that I think it works on both platforms and that's why Giordani is so good because he is he does kind of love this kind of this kind of town this kind of um, it's set in a town which is basically a remake of It's a Wonderful Life it's like it's called Kingdom Falls but it's basically Bedford Falls it's like that same sort of snowy suburban town that kind of town you see always see in American films at Christmas time it always looks amazing all the streets are like littered with like beautiful displays of like Christmas trees and toys it's you know you know and I always feel like whenever I watch American Christmas films I always feel like oh Christmas uh, Britain is so shit when it comes to Christmas you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it never looks as pretty here as it does in all the, anyway so it's like whenever I watch dot 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 films <laughs> dot 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 I think Britain is so shit <laughs> when I watch Christmas films just Britain doesn't do it as well anyway about that's d- not true in the holiday I'm Bridget Jones yeah but no, but that's really rich people I feel like it just Christmas looks magical for everyone it, like even it's just like normal in the States yeah. Oh, I think like, that's miserable. <laughs> like the house in uh, Home Alone, for example. I just like anyway. No, I'm, I'm Babe, getting sidetracked. So rich. Yeah. <laughs> the the plot of Home Alone is that they take their entire extended family on a trip from America to France <laughs> just <laughs> for the banter. Okay, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> anyway, but well, like I say, this is this feels like a Frank Capra film, but it's violent and got like crazy little monsters in it. And everybody knows the plot is it's an inventor who goes and sort of buys this exotic animal from a Chinese antique dealer. Well, he buys it kind of underhand and he takes it home to his son and it's got these rules that you can't get it in sunlight, you can't get it wet and you can't let it eat after midnight. So we all know that. Uh, and it's a very cute film for like 
half an hour and then it just goes haywire and it becomes like a cartoon almost like a kind of like uh like a like a daffy duck cartoon where like things are blown up and like animals are getting like put in the microwave and <laughs> the blender it's, it's a really kind of cynical film about christmas actually because it's basically saying uh it's, it's very materialistic you know it's like saying like you don't try and buy your kids well first of all it's like the, the idea of like the gremlin is basically like you know buying your kid a pet and they don't take care of it well but the whole thing is like anti um anti-christmas in a way like there's, a, there's scenes of like santa getting his face chewed off there's the, the, the this the, this inventor has made all these these gadgets these these kind of high-tech things to make their house really high-tech but none of it works the only time it actually works is when they use it to kill the gremlins you know so like it's it's, it's kind of like there's a whole kind of current of like anti-materialism throughout it um but it's also really funny and the, the design of the gremlins are fantastic i think it was made like maybe 10 years later this film would not have been held up as a, a classic, but because it was made at that r- perfect time, just before CGI had come in, these kind of creatures still look great. Like this, it's it's a mixture of puppetry and animatronics, and they still hold up. They're just amazing designs, um, but it does have all the Christmas feels as well. It manages to do both, and I think that is kind of quite a interesting line to like walk to be a satire of Christmas and sort of turn Christmas into a really kind of deranged anarchic time but also have all the kind of like yeah it's like a family film it's about the family reconnects at the end there's that 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 sequence where there's like just tons of gremlins on screen and they're like playing poker and throwing knives and one of them is like smoking like 20 cigarettes at once and that's just like embedded in my head because it's like it's just so fun. It's so fun and whimsical. I don't know if they're meant to make smoking look cool, but they certainly do. Yeah, the gremlins just like it's like they do every, everything. They're perfect for kids because they do everything naughty. They like blow their nose in the curtains. They like uh, they like you know punch each other. They're fighting. They're like they're, they're, yeah, they're just like. This is gonna sound incredibly deranged if I'm wrong. Is this the film where there's a character whose tragic backstory is that when their dad dressed up as Santa yes. he got lodged in the chimney and yes. died there? That's Phoebe Katz's character. It's metal. It's so cool. It's like, I was a little kid and I heard that story and it traumatised me. But I was like, oh, that's that's just like unbelievably dark yeah. but also just like just immensely good. But it just stops the film dead. It's like a big long backstory about like why why she's like so sad around Christmas time. She hates Christmas. Why do you hate it? Oh yeah, my dad got stuck in the chimney and died and we found him weeks later smelling. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it terrifying. But, how, um, how has this Christmas episode become so violent and chaotic? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, this is the Christmas I've probably seen the most. That like, like I've watched it probably every other year since I was like, or something um, and Joe Dante I think is just a great director really under, underrated American filmmaker who yeah just brings it in this film like it, it takes it it's very kind of Spielbergian I think people remember it as a Spielberg film because it's like it was like a, he, he was the producer but it's so un-Spielberg it's not sentimental in any way it's taken the mick out of basically all the things that Spielberg he, he holds dear like you know like if you take like E.T. and this yes there are quite a lot of similarities but this is so much darker and something like anarchic so I love it that sounds great yes extremely violent <laughs> but quite Christmas but quite Christmassy yeah. I've never seen it before oh. and now I'm like it, it really is fun it's really good I didn't realise it was a Christmas film 
So. Well, you've got plenty of opportunities to see it this festive <laughs> season. Um, it's on Now TV, but it's also getting some live, uh, not live, <laughs> that'd be an absolute bloodbath. Um, <laughs> it's getting some uh, big screen kind of outings over the Christmas period. So it's on at the Brigitte in Glasgow on the 17th of December, and it's on at the Cameo in Edinburgh on the 19th of December. So if you like your Christmas films full of horrible, smoky wee lads causing it, this is one to catch. Uh, Anahit, please, <laughs> please take us away from the violence of the season and into a slightly nicer milieu. Um, I'm going to take us back to the 40s. <laughs> the famously peaceful yeah. time of the 1940s. <laughs> when everything was fine. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, like, one of the things that makes me feel the most festive is that kind of, like, golden age of Hollywood Christmas film. So people talk a lot about It's a Wonderful Life, obviously, which I only saw for the first time like a year ago, two years ago. Um, but there are loads of others around that time. They're amazing. Um, my favorite one is Remember the Night. It's from 1940. And the plot is essentially district attorney Jack, who is played by Fred McMurray. Um, he has, there's like a small time shoplifter played by Barbara Stanwyck. And he is like really dogged and like out to get her. And he gets her trial postponed to after Christmas and then feels so bad <laughs> that he like bails her out and takes her home with him for Christmas. <laughs> so it's about just... it's about a district attorney who takes a hostage. Yeah. <laughs> like Continue. The, the ethics of it are so fucked up. But it's like a really romantic film. It's really, really, like genuinely so lovely. It's not sentimental I think in the way that like It's a Wonderful Life or even Shop Around the Corner can be it's it's a lot more bittersweet in a lot of ways it feels like a lot more grown up um, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck would like go on to star together more famously in Double Indemnity um, but I actually think they're way better in this like they're just very like tender and gentle and it just feels very like worn in it's a film that is, in a way, I think, like the, a mediation on the Hayes Code and the kind of moralization of romantic and sexual relationships and the way that like people are kept apart. But it's also just a blast. There's a very funny scene with a cow where they've like slept in a car and then he's trying to like milk a cow for their breakfast and it's just like insane. Just for a second, I thought, I thought you meant the cow was sleeping in the car. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> really funny scene. There's this cow sleeping in a car. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not far off, I'll yeah. be honest with you. Um, they, yeah, Barbara Samick is just amazing. She's, I think the actresses of the golden age could be very, like, theatrical, which I also really, really love. But she was always very, very, like, naturalistic, very kind of, yeah, her performances were always very, like, worn in, very gentle. Um, just a very good, like, Christmas film. Like, the holidays, like, are a backdrop to it. There's this kind of New Year's Eve party, there's Christmas. And it's all like very festive and wholesome. Um, but it's like against, it's a backdrop against which like something a lot more like difficult and serious is taking place. And I think it like takes the idea of the Christmas miracle and it does something quite like grown up with it. Um, yeah, just very like tender, sexy, little Christmassy film. It's in black and white, which just makes me feel festive. I don't know why. <laughs> um, it's just like this weird like Pavlovian response. Um, yeah, it's just really nice. It's no gremlins. But it is. Really nice. <laughs> it's there the are two shoplifters. Yeah, <laughs> there are truly two wolves that dwell within all of us. Nineteen forties romantic comedy and Gremlins. Um, is it available? If it's from the nineteen forties, can you just 
Cough, get it on YouTube, cough. Yeah, possibly. I can't remember where I saw it, but probably not in any kind of <laughs> particularly straight-laced way. You know what it's called. Yeah. You've got Google. Good luck. You'll work it out. <laughs> um, and then the film that I wanted to talk about in this section of the pod, I was thinking, you know, what's a, you know, what a film where Christmas is central to the situation? A film that's like a little festive tradition. A film that really sums up the spirit of the season. That's right, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in Jingle All The Way. Now, is Jingle All The Way good? No. <laughs> good start. Does, <laughs> does Jingle All The Way succeed in any sense in lambasting the corporate side of Christmas? No. It's all about the pursuit of a toy, a material symbol of uh, capitalist excess. Uh, and the main <laughs> guy... Uh, Arnold <laughs> Thank you. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who plays the world's least realistic mattress salesman, I would argue, learns nothing. Um, but it does have a few things in its favour. One of them is one of the final performances by the incredible Phil Hartman, who people of my age most recognise as being the voice of Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz in The Simpsons. Really, really funny comic actor. He plays a kind of like smarmy... Um, like supercilious next door neighbor who keeps trying to get off with Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Um, so he's very, very good in it. Very kind of like sleazy and a bit dodgy, but also like quite charming in a weird way. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger punches a reindeer in the face. Uh, a rogue postman parcel bombs a bunch of policemen. A cab. Uh, then, <laughs> then a really, uh, then really aggressively imperils an incredibly annoying child. Um, it's a Christmas parade, which means there could have been any number of, uh, you know, collateral casualties. It's a total mess, but there's just something about it. It's one of these films where you can put it on and just kind of like let it wash over you um, and be a bit like, what's this on me? Oh, it's Jingle All The Way. <laughs> but it is. it does have some very funny moments and it's just, I think there's something about it that it's almost like it would be much more successful really if they had meant it as a joke but the fact that it's supposed to be taken seriously somewhat undermines its success but i enjoy it i have a jingle all the way t-shirt in the house which i'm unfortunately <laughs> not wearing today um it's like a farm festive tradition uh in the simpson household that we watch jingle all the way uh at one point he goes to try and buy a counterfeit turbo man doll arnold schwarzenegger and turns up and finds a bunch of petty criminals all dressed as elves producing counterfeit toys. And then he has a big fight with them. And one of them is played by a WWF wrestler, The Big Show. So that's fun. Um, it's on <laughs> Disney Plus and it's screening at the Cameo in Edinburgh on the 17th of December in the main room because this is cinema. <laughs> my one abiding memory of this film, I've seen it once. My, par my parents put it on accidentally because I don't think they knew what it was about. And I just really vividly remember my mum halfway through turning to my dad and being like, if that were my child, I would strangle him. And then the rest of the world <laughs> <laughs> You fun. heard it here. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. uh, it has to be said as well that like almost none of the characters in this film are appealing in any no. way. The kid is a. Like, I mean, she has a point. Yeah, I know that on this podcast, one of the main things I do is slightly inept segues and complaining that the children are annoying, but the child in Jingle All the Way is a right little prick. Um, it's, it's Jake Lloyd, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's who? It's Anakin Skywalker. It's Anakin Skywalker. It's Darth what? Vader. Yeah. <laughs> We should have seen it coming. <laughs> we have 
started on such a violent note for the section of the episode that is like positive, more traditional Christmas films. All of them so far, well, three out of four of them so I mean, far. A, I mean, a robber. And, uh, I mean, she's like a little petty shoplifter because she's poor. Like the violence is being done by the state. We have collectively. <laughs> ah, Engels, ah, lovely to meet you. <laughs> the, the, lad, the lads are back together. The team's all here. Welcome to our very merry communist Christmas. Um, yeah, it's not been, I mean, I have to say, it's a true reflection of the season so far in that it's, yeah, institutional violence, uh, a little gremlin smoking 20 fags at once. Uh, Santa stuck up in the woods surrounded by people waving nooses at him and a large Austrian man punching a reindeer in the face. <laughs> um, if you're looking for other like classic Christmas films um, in the cinema this Christmas, we've put together like a small list of where you can see them. So now is the point to pay attention. Muppet Christmas Carol, the best one, mm-hmm. as Lewis said, is on the GFT from the 18th to the 23rd and it's on the DCA in Dundee from the 22nd up to Christmas Eve. It's a Wonderful Life, another one of those kind of 40s classics, is on at the GFT, the Cameo, and the DCA kind of throughout December. Die Hard, banger, um, is on at the GFT and the Cameo on like the 16th and the 18th, respectively. Uh, the Home Alones are on. You can see Elf if you want to see Elf, if those Asda adverts haven't annoyed the shit out of you with <laughs> Elf yet. Um, yeah, there are other classic Christmas things going on at your local nice cinema, so go and check those out if you don't want to see if you don't want to see a gremlin smoking 20 cigarettes at once. <laughs> That's as good a point as any to cut to the next section. <laughs> so having done the incredibly violent part of Christmas, we've maybe focused too directly on Christmas. It's like looking straight at an eclipse. It can only lead to bad things. What we need to do, I would argue, and it, or not just because it says it on the plan, um, is to look at Christmas films where Christmas features around the edges but isn't necessarily central to the film and it's also not central to people's perception of the film. Die Hard has been fully kind of like grandfathered in as a Christmas film, partly because people keep saying that Die Hard is a Christmas film. And it's like any tradition, once people say it enough, the folk tradition has changed. John McClane is Santa Claus. <laughs> to the point where they've now made a film in which Santa Claus is John McClane. <laughs> the circle is complete. So we've each picked another film um, that kind of fits this mold, where it's like, it's not necessarily a Christmas, Christmas, Christmas film, but it is a film which has Christmas around the edges of a very interesting uh, and worthwhile, worth seeing and worth rewatching motion picture and he do you want to go first people might be surprised by this one will they be well given the, all the extremely violent things that have gone before <laughs> in the context of this episode this is yeah, the, the classic skinny skinny crank jarring tonal shift <laughs> incoming um, get em. i mean actually and he previously did a 40 film now she's done a remake of a 40s film mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a, a really better segue nice through line <laughs> <laughs> i really thought about what i was picking um yeah i think for me when we think about like tangentially christmas films the things that make me feel christmasy are like old black and white films mgm musicals like even if they're not about christmas and Nora efron I don't know why, but there's just something about them that I'm like, you only watch them in December because they make you feel very festive. Um, so yeah, the one I picked is You've Got Mail, which is, yes, a remake of The Shop Around the Corner, which is a very explicitly Christmassy film and is also much better than You've Got Mail, <laughs> just to put that out there. 
Um, You've Got Mail, for those that don't see, is for those that don't know, is a 90s romantic comedy starring um, Tom Hanks as basically the owner of like a Waterstones type like corporation. And Meg Ryan is the owner of a tiny indie bookshop in New York. It is about the most unprincipled set of characters you have ever encountered in your life. Like none of these people have any beliefs whatsoever. Um, having worked in like multiple indie bookshops, I can tell you for sure that these characters would not hook up. Like there is a deep enmity <laughs> that just would not happen. Um, but it is just the platonic ideal of the romantic comedy where like the romance of place and the buzz of life is just as central as like the romance between the people um, where every line feels very iconic for this kind of nostalgia for a time that like is qu- current at that point. Um, there's like one scene where it takes place at Christmas, but a lot of the film is around that kind of like autumnal, wintry, like being in a coat and like your cheeks being quite flush and like bustling around from place to place. Um, just feels very, yeah, festive, very like profoundly kind of sensory film in a lot of ways. Just like a lot of textures and lines about like bouquets of like newly sharpened pencils. Um, it's also a film, I think, similar to The Shop Around the Corner. Um, because these are like in both films these people have been communicating and have like fallen in love without realizing that they hate each other in real life Um, and so they're both films really about like loneliness which I think is also a deeply festive (laughs) emotion and feeling um, and about how to find someone who like might make you happy beyond like the superficiality of like an occasion Um, I literally cannot believe that her version of that person is Jeff Bezos but like what can you do um, yeah, just a fucking great time. Uh, he's not quite Jeff Bezos. He's not he? quite Jeff Bezos, but he's like, yeah, he is the o- owner of like Waterstones. Well, it's interesting because I watched it recently and it struck me that back in the 90s, the, the enemy was these big mm-hmm. companies like Waterstones. But actually, weirdly, Waterstones are now, oh, we need to keep these open because it's Amazon who are now the enemy. And it's interesting how, like, just in 10 years, well, maybe 20 years actually, that things have changed so much. Like, how, I will say, in the independent bookshop world, Waterstones are also still the enemy. All right. In a lot of ways. Amazon is just more the enemy. Okay. <laughs> but you still hate Waterstones. Waterstones are not a comrade, but Amazon are really not a comrade. Yeah. <laughs> it also gave us uh, my favorite GIF slash gif of Tom Hanks like blowing the dust off his fingernails yes. and cracking his knuckles before he starts typing on the computer. When he's telling her about the Godfather, <laughs> go to the mattresses. Yeah, it's just one of those films that just every line in it, like kind of like 10 Things I Hate About You, just every moment is just very iconic. And I think Nora Ephron was very good at that where she would like, I don't know, there was just something about the way that she would set things up and the way that she picked characters who and actors that could just that they weren't like necessarily the hottest people but they were just like so funny and so charming that everything just becomes like oh yeah like that's the thing that you can quote endlessly and it's the thing you can recognize endlessly um and i think that feeling of like comfort and familiarity is quite important to like the idea of the christmas film like you don't want something that's like oh i don't really know where this is going like in december you do not want to have a thought in your head you want to be like this is very predictable and that's great (laughs) that's all i need so I might jump in with my one next because in a similar kind of like through line fashion, the film that I have picked does some of the things that the film I previously picked, the now discredited Jingle All The Way does, <laughs> but in a much more successful way. So the film I've picked is The Hudsucker Proxy, which is a Coen Brothers film 
that was co-written by Sam Raimi off of Evil Dead and Spider-Man, etc. Um, it stars Tim Robbins as a kind of small-town guy who moves to New York in December 1958, gets himself a job in the mailroom of the Hudsucker Company, which is this kind of big, like, massive skyscraper manufacturing company. And then almost as soon as he arrives, the president coincidentally throws himself out the window uh, and the board decide that rather than lose his stake in the company to like members of the public, they're going to concoct this scheme where they'll just like hand over the responsibility to basically the first idiot they find. And then once he's run the company into the ground, they can buy the shares off him and then it'll all be fine. And the first idiot they find is Tim Robbins. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a Coen Brothers film. So it's funny and kind of dark and surreal. It's got some really good kind of like the Coens are always really good at slightly like slapstick but more like the more visceral end of slapstick kind of violence there's a very very good punch in the face shot where Tim Robbins says something to someone and then he gets punched right in the nose in that kind of like the short one that John Malkovich does in Barn After Reading he gets that and then the camera kind of like pans over the top as he falls backwards into a snowdrift it's great fun um and it has a ve- it's a very kind of like good if somewhat on the nose like satire of corporate greed and like um, boardroom machinations and the way that people only pe- people in the world of business only care about the money. Um, but it's also kind of about the magic of the season because Tim Robbins basically beats the bad guys who want to crash the company by inventing the hula hoop. So he he gets put into this boardroom. The crisp or the toy. The toy. Okay. That, that presumably the crisp came afterwards. Okay. Um, so he gets put into the boardroom and left to his own devices, and he just he's asked for what ideas he's come up with, and he just turns around his board to show a perfectly drawn circle, smiles at it, and then says, "You know, for kids." <laughs> <laughs> and then they make the the hula hoop, and all the business guys are like, "This guy's an idiot. No one's going to buy this circle." And then everyone starts buying the circle. And then, like, the hula hoop becomes incredibly popular. And it's all about how he then becomes this kind of, like, uh, boardroom bastard and starts, like, alienating people who had previously liked him because of his, like, nice spirit and the fact that he's untainted by the ways of the capitalist pig dogs. And eventually, he kind of comes round in a very kind of, like, festive way and realises, ah, you know what, it's not all about the money. It's not all about that sweet hula hoop money. It's about being nice to people. And selling them hula hoops. I mean, they don't give them, they don't give them away. Um, but it just, it looks great. It's very kind of like evocative of the kind of, um, yeah, like 40s, 50s, uh, like lots of people looking very fancy because it's set at, in like December's, like Christmas and New Year parties and people in big frocks and stuff. And ultimately it's about a toy that saves Christmas. Um, but it also has some like absolute scene tune performances. Jennifer Jason Lee's great as a kind of like Pulitzer Prize winning news reporter who does the proper like, hey, see, we gotta crack this story wide open, see? They made this guy, made this guy the chairman? Doesn't he run a chair? It's like a Groucho Marx impression, it's incredible. Um, Paul Newman is like the evil guy on the board who's like, let's fit this guy up and then steal all his shares. Um, And it is kind of like a homage to things like It's a Wonderful Life, um, and to like films about where fancy lads with big suits do big business stuff but then they realize afterwards that they shouldn't have done that big business stuff and actually it was about the friends they made along the way it's not the best coen brothers film but it is probably the best coen brothers film for a list of alternative christmas films in which christmas is an ancillary part of the story 
Are there any other options? Uh, there are not at time of no, <laughs> not at time of publishing. Mel's Crossing is quite wintry. I don't know if it's actually at Christmas. And, Far- and Fargo's very wintry. That's I true. I don't know if it's Christmas time either. But I don't. I think Fargo's just that cold. Yeah. <laughs> and Miller's Crossing, I just always associate with the hats. This is when I came up with my hat theory that, yeah, that was very quickly discredited in the office. <laughs> Mel's Crossing probably more autumnal. Yeah. But anyway, that's the Hudsucker proxy. Um, I I'm not sure where you can stream it possibly Disney because it's a Coen Brothers one I think a lot of their ones are on there but it's very good I would recommend it like I say it's kind of one of the unsung ones in the Coen's back catalogue partly because it was a massive like box office failure they basically got given too much money slightly too soon Um, but if you want to see what two like what young Coen Brothers could do when someone gave them like an irresponsibly large budget (laughs) (laughs) it's a Christmas miracle we we can do stunts (laughs) Um, so that was the Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, let's go to Jamie next. Okay. And then, because we're going to get back onto, back on track with some violence. Hit me. Well, Not I, literally. I, I thought this was a good one because I think it's quite a recent film that not many people saw. It was like from 2016, 17, I was going to say. Um, and it's just a fun little nasty horror movie that just starts really smart and gets smarter as it goes along. And it's one of those films where like actually... It's so enjoyable to watch how the mechanics of it all work. So um, the premise begins like like more like a like scream or something like that or Halloween. It's about a young woman who's called to babysit on this bratty kid um, who is kind of he's a very precocious kid, like very smart, but he's really entitled, um, like spoiled rich kid, and he's he really fancies the babysitter and he thinks that tonight he's going to have a chance with her, even though. You know, she's not gonna look at him twice. So it's like, uh, so he's like, it's like a little creep, basically. Um, but so he plans to seduce her, but then things go wrong because actually, there's a house invasion. There's somebody wants to get into the house, and like they're getting, there's like a brick put through the house. They're getting weird phone calls. There's a sniper. It's like very scary, um, and it's like a very tense kind of half hour, really good home invasion movie. Um, and then there's a massive twist. And I don't think I should actually reveal the twist. I know you're against revealing twists. And I would recommend go to see this cold because the twist is amazing. But anyway, it, it becomes a film about basically... It, it's got lots of rug pulls. And that's why it's really enjoyable to watch. And it's fun to watch. It's one of these films that's really fun to watch again. But when you see the rug pulls coming and, and how it's all set up. So it's a really kind of like really well-plotted structured film where everything sort of fits together so satisfyingly. Um, but but really, it, it could be said at any time because really, it's just about it's a film about kind of male privilege, male entitlement, male rage. Uh, the young kid who plays uh, the boy who's been babysat is Levi Miller, who's an Australian kid, but he, he's very convincing as a kind of like uh, privileged young suburban teen. And yeah, it's just a in recent memory, it's the best child performance I can think of. And it's just like, yeah, the film is just full of really nasty shocks. There's a great joke about Home Alone because, like you say, in Home Alone is, uh, like, obviously these burglars would have died instantly. And the kid, being being a, a kid who's obviously obsessed with Home Alone, he tries to use some of Home Alone-style stunts uh, during this home invasion. Um, and let's just say, getting smacked on the face by a paint can uh, they've been swung from some banisters it's not uh, it's not fun and you don't just get knocked out shall we say <laughs> so, this, so it has all that kind of gruesome stuff it's sort of playing with like film conventions previous films 
um, set at Christmas. Uh, it's kind of very kind of cine literate in that way. Um, but yeah, I've, I realise I've chosen a film with a really good twist, and I don't want to spoil it. So please go out and watch it. It's 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 just an it's just a, a very satisfying movie. And that's better watch out, isn't better it? Watch out. Cool. And that is just like uh, you can rent it in various online rental places. I've just yeah. looked it up, and you can. Uh, so that was better watch out, and uh, in true festive tradition, we're going to finish with Lewis's one, which is a big song and dance number. It is a big song and dance number. It is also incredibly violent. Sorry, yes, we're we're going that way again. Uh, and <laughs> the and the thematic end. ties of the episode <laughs> all done up in a nice Christmas little Christmas and bow and communism. Um, <laughs> Anna and the Apocalypse is a 2017 zombie apocalypse horror comedy uh, high school musical. It happens to be set at Christmas time, and I really can't think of how I would summarize the plot other than just what I said. It is set in a high school, it's about British teens, it is a musical, it's coming of age, but a pretty standard zombie apocalypse plot happens, and it's also set at Christmas time. So, like, you know, the it, it, I think that it sort of got its origins as like a student project that wound up just sort of getting reinvented with a bigger budget. So the songwriting isn't particularly groundbreaking. It might feel a little bit sort of typical show tune, but I think they know that's not their strength and they've written around the problem, making this ordinary sort of shallow musical that's so ingrained in its message of positivity that it's struggling to mesh with the fact that a zombie apocalypse is happening. So like the happy skipping down the street number is the same point that the zombies are introduced. So they're just singing about how it's like a brand new day and everything's great, but they're skipping through blood and like they're unaware of the carnage happening around them. So it's a bit like Shaun of the Dead. Um, you know, I, I see lots of different types of people liking this film. Like I don't know that like British teenage high schoolers will actually see themselves well cast well well represented in it but you'll have some like morbid grannies who will think that all of the naff violence is really fun so it might be actually worth putting on at christmas um it like shows off its comedic chops once we're past the first few steps so you know i was sort of like bought in by the point that there's these two kids who are watching like the big town christmas tree just up in flames as sirens are like blaring in the background and they're just like staring at it with these stunned traumatized faces but they're also just very slowly like eating a banana like they're just having their play piece as well um that's where it won me over from that point on it's like you know this head teacher who has like barricaded everyone in the school and given the circumstances bottles of water are now half off like it's just <laughs> sort of like really self-aware it, it will lose you a little bit in the middle where there's some like conversations where the writers are desperate to show their hashtag down with the kids. They just start randomly naming celebrities like Robert Downey Jr. and Taylor Swift and wondering whether or not they're zombies. But then it wins you right back with a bowling alley fight scene, which is just everything you could ever possibly want from a zombie movie bowling alley fight scene. Like the musical elements are fine. The Christmas is just there. Like it, it's not important to the plot. But it does make for a pretty good zombie film, and I know that's in 2017 when, like, zombies are done to death. But, um, yeah, it doesn't, like, skimp out on how imaginative and gory these scenes get. Um, it just so happens that it's, like, they're stabbing zombies in the face with giant candy canes instead of crowbars. But well worth checking out. <laughs> yeah, it's got a real kind of tragic origin story, though, isn't it? Because, like, uh, it was, like... Uh, the, the f it was based on a short film called Zombie Musical, which was basically like a kind of like play on High School Musical, but 
with zombies. Uh, and it was uh, a guy from I can't remember where he's from actually. Some 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 part of Scotland. Uh, Ryan McHenry was his name, uh, and he was all set to make this. But that was like that short was hugely successful. He won so many awards, uh, and he was all set to direct this himself. And then he he, he got cancer and he, mm-hmm. he, he died oh really young. God. Yeah, really tragic, really sad. And um, I think he just died a few months before the film came out, and it was like a huge success. So it's like th- this huge talent who I get I guess could have been like making lots more movies. It's like really sad. But it's it, the film is like a wonderful commemoration to him because oh, yeah, there's yeah, totally. such passion behind every level of production. So it's clear that like you know it. it he had a great vision and everyone who's been working on it has been working on it to the oh yeah no, yeah i think he he was instrumental in the film like he worked on it um, for a long time um and i think it turned out really well for a scottish low budget scottish uh horror musical i think it actually works quite well and some of the music banging i remember i remember the one where uh when the is it all the bullies start uh the, the, the old yeah. jocks like get really into fighting they, the zombies they, they, they have like they've, they've, they've got they have this like stuff call to arms like let's go to war song that actually slaps yeah and um (laughs) like there's not a lot of like big star power in it but um i think it's mark benton who is the guy from game of thrones he's thoros of mir in game of thrones he's probably the biggest name in it um he is like the head teacher who gets this really really wonderful like disney villain arc where he just like gets driven insane by the apocalypse and like clings on to what power he has so there's kind of an anti-authoritarian note there but also like he has some great songs, some great hits, some bangers, but it's uh, Christmas adjacent in the sense that it just happens to like have Christmas trees around, but it's not actually important to the plot at all, but it's still a lot of fun. Good stuff. So that's Anna and the Apocalypse. It's on uh, Amazon Prime and Shudder as well, if you want to check it out over the Christmas period. And who can think of anything more Christmassy than a zombie being stabbed in the head? With a giant candy cane. Yeah. Jingle. Insert, <laughs> insert jingle bells. Um, in terms of other things in this vein that didn't quite make the list, certainly from things I want to talk about that are screening at cinemas around the country, there is Tangerine, the very, very good Sean Baker film. It's on GFT on the 22nd. There is a 4K restoration of Batman Returns. Is that the Christmassy one? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, from the 17th to the 21st it's at the GFT and I think it's playing at some other places as well Um, and Eyes Wide Shut everyone's first guess for film that is alternative to a Christmas film uh, is screening on from the 16th to the 18th at the GFT and if all of this uh, talk of horror has uh, kind of stoked your festive bloodlust then the cameo in Edinburgh are screening an all-nighter of like Christmas horror films on the 10th of December like a start at 11 proper kind of like lock in <laughs> I think it's three is it three Christmas horror films and then a concert film by Goblin I believe it is yeah <laughs> the, have yourself a very metal Christmas but, but they're, all, they're all films in which Santa is the bad guy as well yeah. where, where Santa like is a murderer basically yeah which really does show that that um, Violent Night film doesn't need to exist that film's already been made on at least three occasions <laughs> Um, does anyone else have anything else that they want to recommend over these festive times? I would also shout out the um, 40th anniversary re-release of Fanny and Alexander. That was one I was going to talk about, but I haven't seen it in so long. Um, I don't know if I remember all the details, but it's a really kind of dreamy film um, about a kind of Swedish family in the kind of turn of the century. Um, 
and it's just really beautiful. It's like it's about how the kind of family interact. Everybody comes to stay for like a week, um, and it's set basically from the point of view of the, these kids and start to see in the adult world. So it's like it's like kind of, that kind of is a is a kid's eyes view of adulthood, basically. So it's really dreamy, but there's lots of kind of like dark bits of the edges. Really fun, and it's I think it was uh, Bergman's last kind of theatrical release. He, he did a lot of TV afterwards, but that was his last kind of film basically um yeah it's, it's epic i think it, it, it was it was meant to be for tv so there's like a ve- there is a longer cut like it's about five or six hours but this is the kind of two and a half hour version that's getting re-released and it's great so. good stuff and that is going to be at i think it's at the gft and possibly at some other places mm-hmm. around about as well so there's also the 75th anniversary release of the bishop's wife which is like a Cary grant sort of yeah that golden age of hollywood christmasy one um, which they like have cut a new trailer for and it played before after sun when i was at the cinema which is just like really cute to see like little carrie grant and a little trailer that was nice um yeah it's just a really cute time good stuff uh lewis anything else from you uh i was really yeah like there's the gft has like a great christmas season with like batman returns and and it's a wonderful life and stuff like that but i'm a bit overloaded on christmas right now i think i'm just <laughs> mostly looking forward to glass onion yeah, <laughs> or del toro's pinocchio glass onion is so good <laughs> And on that note, with us being overloaded with Christmas on this, the 29th of November, <laughs> probably as good a time as any to stop. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Thank you, Anahit. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Bye. Uh, <laughs> I said bye. Thank you. I forgot what we were doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks to Josh and Upload Studios as well, uploadstudios.co.uk. We will be back in two weeks with a two-parter on our films of 2022. That's a lot of twos to put into one sentence. Um, but yes, if in the meantime you want to find out what we're up to, get us at the Skinny Mag on Twitter and Instagram. And I also set up a TikTok for the podcast. Oh, no. So you can find us on TikTok at the Cine Skinny. It's little bits of the podcast with some pictures. Oh god, I thought we had to dance or something. That's good. <laughs> we'll save we'll save that for the party on Thursday. But yeah, thanks for listening and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.